Secrets to Real Estate Investing, Episode 54. Welcome to the Secrets to Real Estate Investing podcast by House Flip Masters, where you will learn powerful strategies from top experts in real estate investing, and you will find valuable information to take your investments to the next level. Now, here's your host and expert real estate investor, Holly McCann. Hey everyone, Holly McCann here with Secrets to Real Estate Investing. We've got a great episode today. I have another guest from Southern California, and this gentleman just impressed me tremendously when I met him last year, and I wrote down that I just had to have him on the show, and I'm so excited to have him. His name is Tom Gilbert, and he's based out of San Diego, and he has an incredible life story as well as real estate success story. I'm so excited for him to share with you guys today. So with that, welcome to the show, Tom. Hey, thanks, Holly. Great to be here. Appreciate the opportunity to, to talk with you on your podcast. Well, you have such an amazing inspirational story, and I would love for you to share that and talk about you know, your journey, not only through life and re- recovering from as I'm kind of giving it away a little bit, what happened to you, as well as then, you know, your journey into real estate. So tell our audience what has happened to you. Sure. Uh, I mean, gosh, where to start? I, I guess I'll just start with the accident and the injury, you know. Um, um, well, and, and then I'll touch on schooling a little bit too. But so 15 and a half years ago, you know, I just graduated college. I was 23 years old. Um, and uh, I moved up to Lake Tahoe to Heavenly uh, to work at the ski resort there. And uh, a couple days after, it was uh, Christmas Eve, actually, 2001. And, uh, you know, it was a beautiful day, um, blue skies. It had just snowed like three feet of powder the couple days before. So we were just having a, a wonderful day. I was with my, my younger brother, uh, who was 13 at the time. And... Um, you know, we decided to do one more run before lunch. We'd been going through the snowboard park, going off of jumps. And granted, I had, you know, I'd been skiing since I was five and then snowboarding since I was 12. But, you know, here at 23, I just made a bad decision. You know, I, I didn't go off and look at this jump closely. And, and uh, I just hit it full speed, you know, thinking it was similar to what uh, the jump I was going off the year before, just because it looked the same, you know, it was made the same. But the reality was, is it was dug out at the bottom and it had a big divot from people going off the left side and the right side and not going off, uh, off the, uh, the full face of it. And so when I hit it full speed, it just buckled my knees, threw me in the air, what I call Superman style, you know, arms first and head first and just flailing, you know? Um, and I went about 50 feet high up in the air, ended up past the decline and, uh, just landed basically on my neck, on my shoulders, you know, I, luckily I tucked, I tucked my head. Um, so I didn't break my neck, but, uh, the impact of that, if you just figured dropping 50 feet on the back of your shoulders, the board came over my head. Um, and my legs hit my chest so hard. I had this Altoids can in it that just got smashed with my legs. It looked like somebody took a hammer to it. And, uh, you know, I mean, instantly, uh, you know, the wind was knocked out of me. Um, my legs were tingling 
and I just I was in a lot of pain. You know, I was never knocked out or anything. Uh, ski patrol was at the top of the lift. Uh, it was right next to the chairlift. So everybody uh, was like yelling from one chair to the next chair, get the ski patrol, get the ski patrol. So the ski patrol was there. Like what I felt like was instantly um, assess the situation, undid my board, took off my boots and asked me to move my toes. And it was at that point when I realized what had really happened and I couldn't move my feet. You know, I had this small little twitch in my right toe. Um, and that was it, you know, I could not move anything else. And I just had realized at that point, what did I do to myself? You know, here, you think you can fly in your 20s, you know, especially, uh, you know, us males, um, you, you got the whole world in front of you and you realize, I realized really quickly um, that, that you don't and nothing's guaranteed. And, um, you know, life can be as, as short as a few seconds uh, in front of us here. So, you know, they got me down off the mountain, helicopter me to Reno to the, uh, the hospital there um, where, you know, a doctor um, assessed the situation. They realized that I had pulverized my vertebrae um, at L1 and it had, uh, it had just busted up into pieces. Those pieces went into my spinal cord. Fortunately, it wasn't severed. Uh, and I was diagnosed with what's called an incomplete spinal cord injury. Um, and uh, so they had to actually take my vertebrae out, my L1 vertebrae. They took out, uh, you know, all males have an extra rib. They call it Adam's rib. And they took that out, ground them both up, um, cut me in half, basically, about 130 staples, and went in and fused my spine with a titanium cage to T12 to L2 and put uh, those bone fragments in there. And then it basically grew to the vertebrae above and below. Uh, the doctor who did the surgery, fortunately, had done about 300 of these, so he was very professional. Um, but he did, you know, basically say after, you know, surgery went, went well, but, um, you know, you're most likely you're not going to walk again or have kids, and you're going to need to get used to living life in a wheelchair. Oh, my gosh. So yeah. it was just like a huge... I mean, did you know that when you had the accident, were you thinking this might be life changing or did you think, oh, I'll get better. I can recover. I'm young. You know, I, I always just uh, was thinking to myself, I was going to get better because, you know, they in the sled, you know, they took me down in a sled down the hill because I was, you know, towards the top of the, of the mountain, got me down to the base. Um, uh, at the ski resort. And then, uh, basically, you know, my, my brother called my family. And so my mom showed up right before the helicopter was there. And she, you know, she tells the story that she got there, saw this helicopter and was like, Oh, wow, somebody is really hurt, you know? And then she goes and sees me and my jacket laying on the ground next to the helicopter and comes over. And, um, you know, I just remember telling her, it's okay, mom, I'm going to be okay. And she was like, what did you do to yourself? <laughs> and, uh, and I just told, I just remember trying to be strong for her and just telling her, I'm going to, I'm going to be okay. It's okay. You know, I'll, I'll be fine. Um, and, uh, but in the same, at the same time, you're uncertain, you know, a little bit, you have those doubts and, and that's what I really learned. Cause you have those doubts and, and everybody has doubts. It's just, how long are you going to let them stick in your head? How long are you going to let them control your actions? You know, um, how long do you actually focus on those negative thoughts? Um, because your thoughts lie to you, you know, is the reality. Yes. Okay. So you're told that you'll probably be living life in a wheelchair, but you 
probably didn't accept that because even though our listeners can't necessarily see what I see, but you are in a child's room. So we know the whole thing about you won't have kids did not come true. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I you have... got some kids. So tell us like the rest of the story and how you overcame that. <laughs> yeah. So I got a six year old and an 11 year old now. Um, you know, I mean, gosh, uh, I just had, I had so much support after the accident with family and friends, you know, they put on golf tournaments, they had fundraisers for medical bills. Um, you know, I had a, a physical therapist, a home health care, basically person that we hired independently. He'd come six days a week and work out. And, and I just took all of that over the first nine months uh, and living at my parents' house. And then once I was able to kind of get confident enough to like, Hey, I have some independence. Then I, I moved to Oregon and went back to school and, um, uh, just pursued a master's degree where I moved up there and didn't really know anybody. You know, I ended up talking my good friend, Matt into coming up for a few months and then he got tired of the rain and, 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 uh, uh, and a little bit of the lifestyle and, um, and he, moved, he moved back. Um, but I went up there not into the master's program, but just really for, uh, just to figure out who I was now, you know, and to figure out who that person was. Um, cause everything had changed, you know, and all that I knew, I was just getting reminded of who I used to be w when I was, uh, staying with my parents and living that life. And I just needed to go figure out who I was now, you know? And so that's what led me up there to Oregon for about four years where I met my wife and, uh, we were blessed to have our son, you know, cause she was told she couldn't have kids either. So it was a <laughs> bit of a miracle wow. baby. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it's, uh, yeah, it's just been a major blessing. You know, I did get into the master's program. I got a master's in fishery science cause I was taught like we'll get into here, you know, that to go to school, you know, get a good, get good grades so you can go to college and get a good education and take that degree and work that degree and do a good job that you can work, you know, for 30, 40 years and get a good pension and retire and, you know, live happily ever after, you know, all those things our parents, you know, and grandparents told us. Uh, and I found it really quickly after graduating the master's program and getting uh, uh, a good, the, the good paying job, you know, that I was going to work forever that uh, eight months into that, they had to close the doors. You know, this was a jo job in the Bay Area, a startup company, a biofuel, algae biofuel company. And, um, you know, uh, I had to then go search for another job, which is what got me down here to Southern California, San Diego area. Um, and then I took that job, worked that, you know, for a while, for over a few years, got promotions, got raises, you know, got more responsibility. And then I came into that third year for the review and I, I got the more responsibility. I got the pat on the back, but the raises stopped really, you know, and they just said that we can't give you any more money. You're already, you know, uh, one of the top five people making, you know, as far as how much your salary is here. And, you know, unless, unless Bill dies and, and Mary retires and, you know, and, and someone else gets fired, you, you know, you, you're kind of capped out. I mean, they didn't say that, but that's what was the reality of their yeah. words. Yeah. So you yeah. hit that ceiling, but the responsibility kept coming, you know, and I still had to manage eight or nine people and I still had to get there early and stay late and, and ask permission to coach my son's baseball teams and, and go to dads and donuts, you know, and it was a, a manufacturing environment where, 
where you had to clock in and there was 11 buzzers every day like we're talking about, you know? <laughs> well, wait, wait. So for people out there listening that might be like me and have never lived in an environment with buzzers except school. <laughs> I mean, we were talking about that before we started the show. Like, it's like school. They have what they had a warning bell to tell you to get back after lunch. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. They had. So, I mean, you count up 11 buzzers, right? So there's, so work started at seven o'clock, you know, so at six fifty-five, there was a buzzer to let you know, Hey, five minutes till work starts and seven o'clock. Hey, work starting. Uh, and then 10 o'clock for break, you know, and then 10, 10 when breaks over, you only get a 10 minute break. Uh, and then 12 o'clock, you know, for lunch, and then twelve twenty-five for the five-minute bell. You know, when hey, lunch is almost over, be ready. And then twelve thirty for lunch is over, back to work. And then two o'clock for another break. And then two ten for breaks over. And then three thirty, and and you know, work was over in this manufacturing environment. At least for the uh, you know, for the time clock, eight-hour-a-day employees, for the managers and salary people, you know that. That, that could go on till, you know, 4.35, 6 o'clock. You know, I'm, I've stayed at work there till 7 o'clock. Wow. You know, so you'll put in long days and stuff too. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was an environment that, um, you know, I, I appreciate the opportunity. I appreciate what I learned there. I learned a lot about business and, and a lot about um, a lot of other things. Uh, and I wouldn't, you know, pass that up, but, um, there's only so long you can put up with all that. And, and it can be a quite a negative environment when people are being controlled by buzzers, you know? Yeah, I can imagine. I've heard it said that our school system was designed to create good employees. And when you describe that, I'm like, oh, it sounds like, you know, junior high and high school where you have buzzers and you report in and warning bell. I guess it's like school. Right? Yeah. I guess we, they were well-trained, huh? Well, well, so tell us what, like, what the next, um, I mean, obviously you were not feeling satisfied and fulfilled. What was the next part of your journey and how did you discover the whole real estate investing world? Yeah, well, like I mentioned, when I realized going in for that, you know, third year uh, review, um, where things were at and what, what was going, you know, um, and the fact that we we didn't always get bonuses, we got it the first couple years, and then all of a sudden, there wasn't money to give bonuses and things like that. But the expectations of, of everything were still there. Um, I just started looking for something else, you know, I, I started looking um, into real estate, you know, um, I had previously, a few years before that, read a book uh, called Be a Real Estate Millionaire uh, by Dean Graziosi. And so it kind of planted a seed back then, you know. Um, and, you know, my dad is a contractor, so I grew up around that environment. But I always wanted to work smarter and not harder. I wasn't much of a physical labor not Now, granted, I, I did work a lot of, of physical labor, you know, especially as a um, – as a boy growing up with a dad as a contractor, you know, um, but I just realized that made me realize that I didn't want to do that forever, you know, and that's part of why I went to college. Um, but the investing side of it, you know, the building passive income, the, the finding deals and, and, and making money that way uh, was just something that interests me a lot, you know, is working, working really hard to build income that then just continues to come in passively. 
And so that's the path that I started going on. I started seeking education and looking to um, surround myself with other like-minded individuals and just build a, a real estate um, portfolio while I was still working, you know, that allowed me to eventually get the freedom to leave that job. So did you start up the real estate investing activities while you had your job? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Okay. And how did you do that? Like, were you trying to do that during the day with your job on those little 10 minute breaks and things or how, what did you right. do with that? So, I mean, here's what I did. I just, I got up a little earlier, you know, um, I, I ate my lunch at those 10 minute breaks and then at lunchtime that 30 minutes I'd make phone calls. I'd go into my car and make phone calls and I'd have a list, you know, from, from working in the morning for an hour, I would make a list of stuff I wanted to get done for the day. And, mm -hmm. you know, a good friend of mine, Joe, uh, always said, you try to uh, just do one thing every day. Cause after a hundred days, you've done a hundred things, you know? And so I just Love kept, that. That, in, <laughs> yeah. kept that in mind really that like, just as long as you're, you're, progressing, you know, and taking steps, then you're moving in the right direction. And whether you're, you know, the tortoise or the hare, you're still going to get to the finish line, right? And I think so many people get caught up and I need this now and they're playing, you know, they're trying to play the short game of, of how quickly this can happen and quick money. And, and that's not really, you know, you, you need to build it and, and be patient and, and focused and, and play that long game. And that's really what I was doing, you know, and took advantage of the W2 job and that I could get bank refinancing with good credit. Um, and so we did a lot of cash out refis, used home equity lines of credit and just recycled that as we did cash out refis with banks then and um, leveraged and just recycled money into multiple properties that way while I had my job to build that passive income and confidence too, knowing how to find the deals and, and how to be able to use that uh, um, to provide income and, and essentially freedom and time back, you know. Yeah, and I remember you telling me, so your focus is um, the Central Valley in California, so it's not in your backyard. I mean, how far of a drive is it from where you live near San Diego up to your focus area? How many hours? Um, it's anywhere from five to six, you know, if you're not stopping and you're gassed up and then, uh, your bladder's not full, right? <laughs> so, so would you drive back and forth checking out deals or did you have yeah, somebody would, there helping you or what? I would go, well, both. I would go on the weekends, you know, um, probably about once a month basically, you know, and go. So I would do all the marketing. I would, um, uh, you know, find, find leads. And then I would go up and, and walk through those houses and, um, put in those offers and things like that directly with sellers or, um, uh, you know, there was more inventory on the MLS at that time too. So making a lot of MLS offers. Um, and, that was it. You know, I just, I, I had the desire and the want, you know, to get to where I'm at now, where I have the time and freedom to, to create my own schedule, you know? Um, and would so. you, um, were, did you start out wholesaling, holding, flipping? What did you start out doing and, and what did you do over the mm -hmm. course of your, I mean, have you had maybe like about six, eight years experience doing this now or? Uh, it's been five years since five I years. started. Yeah. And, um, uh, I started working towards buy and holds, you know, is what I really started with. So I did some seller financing buy and holds. I, like I mentioned, we did the home equity line of credit strategy with the cash out refi. Um, 
you know, I did that, um, held rental properties. Also then, you know, would hold some of those for a couple of years, realize that, Hey, these returns aren't quite what we're wanting or Hey, that neighborhood's not quite as good. So then we'd sell those. And since we bought them right and we were fortunate with the timing of appreciation, you know, there's definitely good returns on those. Some we sold, you know, um, with large, large down payments. And, and then we basically carried the profit seller financing, at 10 or 12 percent um interest um and and just kind of spread it out that way you know but i have done some fix and flips have done some wholesales also have created notes um but a majority i'd say you know at least about half have been buying holds whether we still had held them or not um is a little different but um that was the main strategy really for that passive income. But you learn at the same time about managing property managers and about tenants and tenant screening. And, you know, we had the fortunate uh, circumstance to go through a couple evictions and, um, you know, so, so there's the learning curves and the ups and downs. And that's what was helpful of having that job is you just don't have uh, the pressure it's, it's more motivation and less pressure and stress, you know? Yeah. There's still some of that, but you know that, Hey, I still have my job and I still have an income to support us while I figure this out, you know? Right. Right. So what would you say, um, how did the whole transition work when you quit your job? Like, what did you have to do or what did you have to be before you said, okay, now I can quit my job. And then, were you like super confident? Were you terrified? Like take us through some of that. Yeah. So, I mean, the goal was always for three years was the plan. You know, um, I held on for an extra year because of doing, trying to do these cash out refis, you know, but I, I went through probably call like 60, 60 banks, um, went through the process with like four or five of them over 15 months to try to refinance these last couple properties. <laughs> to get the home equity line of credit uh, money back. And just, um, you know, uh, we had too much, um, too much leverage at that point, too much debt to income. Um, and so we just kept finding out basically, you know, for different reasons, they wouldn't all say that. Uh, some would say, well, the properties are not in our area and things like that, but um, we just uh, couldn't refinance them. So I spent about a year, 15 months of frustration, which unfortunately probably came out at the job a little bit and I was a little less motivated and stuff. But um, just coming into that, I just came to a point where I was like, okay, well, it's time to jump. If we have to, we'll sell those properties that we didn't refinance and, you know, and take the profit from them and I'll use that and just work with it, you know. Yeah. I was just at a point where uh, it wasn't doing the company I was working for any good to stay there, you know, because I was just getting frustrated. Um, I, I kind of felt like the whole, not the whole time, but a the, the couple of years there, the last couple of years, almost like a, like a double agent, you know, because you're at your job, but yet, man, all I'm thinking about is real estate and freedom and, and, and building my own business, you know, uh, and working towards that. Um, and at the same time, I wasn't, you know, trying to drop the ball at work or anything. I still had lots of responsibility and managing, you know, seven or eight people and um, making sure that they had what they needed. Uh, but I just wasn't staying till five, six, seven o'clock anymore. You know, when that three thirty buzzer came and the guys I managed were leaving, I wasn't far behind them. You know, especially right. when I was going to be coaching my son's little league team. Um, 
And yeah, well, tell that. us about that, like how your how your life looks now, because you mentioned that, you know, the time freedom and how wonderful that is and how it's kind of not your goal to build a big machine with more employees to manage, but just to be able to enjoy life with your kids, huh? Yeah, well, and that's come from the perspective of my accident, you know, and realizing how blessed we are with life and how precious it is and how short it can be. Um, you know, uh, you just, I didn't want to have to ask permission to hang out with my kids anymore. You know, I, my, my good friend, Chad Bartlett had said that several times and it really stuck, you know, cause he was in a similar situation as a mechanic and has worked to build a great wholesaling, um, and fi fix and flip business. And, um, it stuck with me some years back and my wife and, and it was like, yeah, you know, we don't want to have to ask permission, you know? So now I, I like this morning, I rode my bike, you know, with my two kids to school and drop them off. And then we go, you know, and I, I ride bikes at the end of the day to pick them up. My wife and I usually trade off, you know, but usually two to three, maybe four times a week, you know, I'm riding bikes with the kids to school and, um, you know, they set goals this year to, to have these incredible, they have this run club. So, um, you know, they, they reached a hundred and 150 miles this year running in run club. So we get to go to the, to like the, the morning meetings when they get recognized and stuff or dads and donuts or like eat lunch with special person's day, you know, we can go get oh. some, grab some in and out and bring it to them and, and, uh, and just be there, you know, and be there for that stuff and coach my son's little league team. And, um, and just be a part of that, you know, to help out. I just see, and I was one of them, you know, so many parents that, um, just are stressed, you know, and then I was stressed too. And you come home and it's like, you spend all day trying not to get frustrated at work and just compose yourself. And then you come home and who do you get frustrated with? Right. The people you love. And it's just like, what kind of a life is that, you know, yeah. to all for a paycheck, you know, it's like, that's not what life's about. So. I've just, yeah. I've taken real estate to get my time back and what I call more of, I guess, a, a lifestyle, uh, real estate investor, entrepreneur, just to have my time so that I can go do what I want. You know, if I want to go visit my parents, um, who live in Northern California, you know, we can go and do that. You know, we're talking about a year, 15 months from now, taking the kids out of school, getting an RV and going across country for a year, you know, when they're in seventh grade and second grade and it's like only real estate can allow to do that so it's just having that time to to basically create memories with people that you love you know and spend that time and that's that's where I'm coming from and that's what real estate's all about to me I mean I love it too because um, I, I just I just enjoy it, you know, finding the deal, negotiating, helping somebody out of a problem that they have, a problem property or, or, or um, you know, a problem situation with money and then turning it into to something beautiful or giving someone, you know, a place to rent and live. Um, I just, I enjoy that part. And, and uh, you know, so it's not like I'm ever going to stop. Um, yeah. But at the same time, like you said, I'm not going to create this super, super, super machine, you know, where I got to manage a ton of people. Um, um, Send you right back to where you started without the freedom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and where is that? You know, I just, I, you know, maybe, maybe when both my kids are 18 and they're ready, you know, to build a business or, or, you know, we could grow this thing bigger together or something, you know? Um, 
but until that, you know, I want to be able to be available for them, you know, and be available for my parents and my wife's parents as they, you know, need us as they get older to go mm-hmm. and visit and, and just build the relationship of our kids and their grandparents too, you know. Awesome. Well, let's talk a little bit of numbers because I think you've had some great success and I love inspiring our listeners and giving them the faith and belief that they can do this. I mean, come on, you had a degree in fishery. How does that have anything to do with real estate, right? That you could, you know, make this work and make this happen. So why don't you tell us about, you know, like maybe a great deal you did and then maybe one where it didn't go so well that maybe the value was more in the learning than the money you made. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So, I mean, some good deals have been the, some of the buy and holds because appreciation has gone up so much and we bought them at a real low level. Uh-huh. But let's see. So one, um, one that I bought a few years ago, I bought it for uh, it a three bedroom, one bath or two bath. I'm sorry. Bought it for 70, about 75,000, put about 15,000 into it. So all in it for 90, uh, rented out for, I think it was nine seventy five. Um, and Good numbers. It was, yeah, yeah, it was an 1,800 square foot house, you know, um, and uh, uh, it appraised for 180,000. We did a cash out refi for 140,000. So we got the 90,000 back plus an extra 50, then used that money to go buy two more properties. Um, so uh, uh, used the money to, to do a flip property in Florida with some friends of ours. Um, ended up making, you know, as we split the profit there, we, we financed it and, and they managed it. Um, so we ended up each getting, uh, I think it was about $10,000 each on the flip. And so we got the money working there. And then um, I bought another little rental unit with the rest of it uh, for 62000 rented that out for about seven fifty for a couple years, and then just sold that for $100,000. So, you know, just getting that money working. And in the meantime, the, you know, the property that we refied, it, it stopped cash flowing because we refied it a little too hard because <laughs> I knew, you know, what we wanted to do with the money and then I could get that 140 working and making a better return. So it was negative cash flow of a hundred bucks, but we paid that, you know, for 15 months while we worked this money and, and it made a huge return. So, I mean, that was a super, super good home run there um, that worked out well. And then we just sold that property and, um, uh, for, I think it was about 170. Um, and so we paid the loan off and still got a little more money out of that. But the beauty of the cash out refi, especially if you can get that extra money, um, is that that's, that's all tax free money, you know, cause it's loan money yeah. uh, until you actually, you know, sell the property and pay it off. Um, but that's workable, usable money that you can do. So, um, you know, refinancing on properties, uh, is a great way, um, especially if you can get them cheap enough to get extra money that's tax free and then usable. I so that love was, that. You've yeah. had huge success. That is awesome. And it's also interesting to me, like, um, you're doing this kind of remotely. Do you, you must have a local property manager there in the town where you're doing this, right? Right. So what, what's kind of some of the advice you give to someone? I mean, cause it really is hard. I mean, the area I live in Orange County, California, it, buying rentals makes no sense from a return on investment perspective. Like maybe you'll get, but you, you will get appreciation over the long term, but cash flow, forget it. You can't begin to make it work. Right. So we have to go outside of our, 
you know, immediate neighborhood to make sense of rentals. But what's some advice you'd give, um, you'd give someone who is doing it, you know, not in their backyard because there is no great opportunities right nearby? Right. So advice for somebody to get out of their backyard. I mean, it, it, you got to have that team, you know, like you mentioned, you got to have some people there. So yeah, I mean, I, I called originally every property manager in the town that, that would buy the properties, you know, just to qualify them, you know, um, and, and had the same list of questions, you know, we had about 10 or 15 questions that we asked them all and, and see who had the best answers, you know, and then it came down to two of them. And so we actually uh, said, okay, well, let's use both of these and see, you know, uh, see who comes out victorious at the end. And, and after, after a year, you know, I'm probably not even a year. I mean, after a few months or so, it became more obvious which one was better. And so we sold, you know, we basically ended up selling some of the properties from, from the other property manager and then, um, you know, let, let the one good property manager that was worked out well, just kind of do everything, you know, and, and you still have to manage them. Right. I mean, um, they're doing the best they can. They, they mostly have property management, uh, to serve their clients who are buy and hold clients. You know, there's a lot from the Bay area that buy in the market we're into. And so, um, you know, property management isn't a big money maker for them. So they have to, you know, watch how many resources they put towards that and stuff too, because it's not necessarily a huge profitable uh, business uh, uh, part, uh, part of their business. You know, they still are real estate agents too and sell properties and buy properties for people. Um, so, but really just don't go with the first company, you know, call a bunch, qualify them, you know, ask them questions, see how they, you know, talk less and listen more. Um, mm. You know, uh, if somebody's not working out for you, move on, don't hold on to them just because you built a relationship. If you know, you got You got to test, you got to trust, but verify. Right. And you got to test people, give them tests, you know, see how they respond. Make sure if they hired you a landscaper and, and they let you know, you know, well, what day of the week is he going to be there? Is it just, you know, don't let it be just this open-ended flexible. He can go whenever he wants, you know, what day is he going to go? And then check up on that and see, you know, um, see if that's really happening. Keep honest people honest, you know. Um, you just, yeah, I'll even have contractors or landscapers. I'll tell them, send me a picture before and after, especially if it's a big cleanup job. Yeah. Um, right, you send me and then I'll pay you right away, you know, because I'll pay them through my bank through chase quick pay or whatever. Yeah. And I mean, it's so easy and awesome with cell phones and photos and videos now, like to use oh. that technology. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So, and then just having a realtor you can trust, you know, to go and look at things, having, um, you know, a handyman that's, that's available, you know, for little things and stuff like that, as you have these rental properties, cause they do manage a couple of them. Um, just cause I bought them as turnkeys from another landlord, which is another great source of properties. You know, I mean, if there's uh, a really good golden nugget I can pass on is just network with landlords. You know, they know the game, right? They've been there before, especially as you're starting up, like they can teach you things. They can, they can help you understand how to accumulate properties. And then also they're willing to do seller financing, you know, with their properties. They want to help the youngster get started because they were that youngster, right? Yeah. You know? So if you build rapport with them and build a relationship, then you know what? They're going to look out for you and help you get started too because they can relate. They were there. 
you know? So there's no better source of properties in my mind than networking with landlords, you know, um, because they understand the game, you know, they're not after making a commission. Um, and they understand seller financing and, and how to carry out, you know, a note so that they make more and pay less in taxes. You know, it's not how much you make, it's how much you keep, right? Amen to that. Yes, yeah. for sure. For sure. Well, we are getting here to the end of our show and you've just been awesome sharing all this. And I know um, we didn't plan this, so I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but would you be willing to share your list of questions that you asked the property managers? Because I think that would be really, oh, I mean, sure. not over here in the podcast, yeah. but um, email to on me. And I'm going to make that for our download for our audiences sure. so that they can um, see your list of questions that worked well for you. And what great advice to try out two property managers at once. I love that idea, not putting all your eggs in one basket, because it's one thing to be good at sales. Like some people are very good at selling themselves, but then the performing aspect isn't always what you think and hope it will be. So it's great when you say trust, but verify, like put people to the test and see if they can perform as well as they say they can. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big person of testing that, you know, and just giving people a little test too, you know, just to verify if they, if they do what they say they're going to do, you know, cause so many yeah. people say they're a person of their word. Right. And then they tell you they're going to do something and then it doesn't happen. And how do you react to that? You know, and yes. if you put yourself out there financially, then, then it's even harder, you know? So, so test before you actually have a financial commitment, you know? Right. Yeah. That's what I have with tenants all the time. Like commit to me the days you're going to pay your rent, the ones that get behind for whatever reason. And yeah, it's always interesting to deal with them. Well, right. Yeah. You've been awesome, Tom. And for listeners, we are going to have um, Tom's questions that he asked his property managers and he put them through his test with at um, hardhatholly.com forward slash 54. This is episode 54. And we'll have that download available to you. Tom, if someone wants to reach out to you and ask you questions or advice, how does someone reach you? Sure. Um, let's see. So, I mean, I'm easily accessible on Facebook, so you can always, you know, reach out, friend me there. Um, uh, and then also uh, email is uh, our business email is TLC investment properties. Um, uh, I'm sorry, TLC investment props at gmail.com. And our website is TLC investment properties.com. <laughs> And um, you guys are welcome to reach out to me in that way in any way. So Awesome. And we'll have links to all that in our show notes too. And I'll put a link to your Facebook profile because his name is spelled T-H-O-M, Tom Gilbert. So it's a little different. And yeah, so Tom, thank you so much. You've been awesome. And what an inspiration you are going from a diagnosis of being told life in a wheelchair, no kids, I mean, pretty bleak outlook and like totally throwing that to the wind and making a fantastic life for yourself, your wife, your two kids, coaching Little League. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. I'm like so impressed with everything you've done. Uh, well, thanks. Now, I'm very blessed, you know, is really what it is. And you just, you can't let somebody else's opinion about you become your reality, you know, and then you got to go out and be the example you want to see, you know, you got to go out and live it. So, 
you know, that's all I've tried to do. And I've just been blessed along the way, you know, and, and been surrounded by a lot of wonderful people. So thanks for having me today, Holly. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. No excuses. After hearing Tom's story, you guys have no excuses. Get out there and make it happen. <laughs> thank you, Tom. Appreciate your time. All right. Thank you. Okay. If you found value in today's episode, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show. You can find our show notes at our website, houseflipmasters.com, on the podcast page. Also, to get our top tips for finding deals without spending lots of money, go to houseflipmasters.com for your free download today.